This is Creative Machines. Conversations about technology, creativity, and all the different futures we could be heading towards. I'm Aaron Tolson with Pietro Galliano, and we are Creative Machines. Our guest for this episode is Anne Shin. Anne is the founder of Fathom, a production company that specializes in finding innovative ways to tell stories. Through Fathom, Anne has produced award-winning documentaries that touch on a range of subjects by focusing on the people caught up in the events, including The Defector, Escape from North Korea, and My Enemy, My Brother. Pietro and Anne have collaborated in the past to create immersive web-based content that helps viewers further engage with the hard-to-imagine experiences presented in the documentaries. We discuss why VR hasn't quite achieved its promised power as an empathy-generating tool and how Anne is trying a different approach. We'll talk about her smart drugs documentary that explores the biohacking movement and the potential of transhumanism, including what Pietro would do with a robot arm. We'll give our opinions on Elon Musk and Silicon Valley bros and take a deep dive into Anne's latest project, which explores the spiritual relationship people are forming with technology. Plus, for those into robots, we'll hear about Anne's meeting with the legendary Ben Goetzel, lead scientist behind the AI that powers Sophia, the first robot ambassador for the UN. As usual, you'll hear a few footnotes from me whenever I feel like exploring a topic further down the rabbit hole. We cover a lot of ground in this episode. This is exactly what this podcast is supposed to be about. It was great speaking to someone like Anne, who's had so much exposure to the futurist topics we discuss throughout this series. Let's hear Anne Shin on the Creative Machines podcast. when you know vr first came out and everyone's talking about it as the empathy machine and right. it was just like yeah. overhyped it really it's yeah. just another platform i you think know? that was a chris milk quote yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. god bless him uh, <laughs> love yeah. you chris milk yeah like all this stuff yeah <laughs> but um like i i wonder now i mean i i think that it's definitely more engaging in some ways but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm i'm not sure yeah i, I think that it when when uh, these um when immersive media you know, became popular again, whether mm-hmm. it went away and came back or whatever. Mm-hmm. That 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 hype cycle. At the beginning of the hype cycle, there was a lot of um, assumptions that the content had to be POV and you had to play a character mm-hmm. and you had to see your own hands and you had to, you know, the characters have to reference you right. um, first person. But n- now I think, you know, th- that, that quickly was experimented with and quickly broke, but mm-hmm. there was a, a lot of um, content that was strictly first person and it was assumed that empathy would come from that. Right. But you, it depends on the storytelling. Like it, it, it might or it might not. Just putting someone in someone else's shoes doesn't mean, mean you're going to be empathetic to them. Right. And that's kind of the discovery that all the content uh, makers made. So maybe that that's time. what's been lacking slightly is that narrative drive of having a good story to tell still. Maybe that's what's been missing. Yeah, I think so. Giving it, giving it st- some stakes, giving it context. Um, right. Yeah. 
Um, you can talk a little bit about my my enemy. My I was going to say that leads that was leading me directly to that. Um, so you have this situation: my enemy, my brother. You're going to explain it better than I can. But um, the Iran Iraq War, and yeah, we can see all the news footage we can about these things to actually feel and see the impact of what happened to people involved in that conflict. You took. You found two people. I mean, you can tell the story better, so I'll let you expand on mm -hmm. what that film was about, mm -hmm. the story behind that. Sure. Um, there were uh, two veterans from the Iran-Iraq War, mm -hmm. and at the time, uh, th which took place in the 80s, right. um, the, one of them was an Iranian child soldier. He was 13 at the beginning of the war. Mm -hmm. And Najah, the Iraqi, was later on in his teens. Right. But... Zahed, the Iranian boy, found Najah in a bunker, and mm. all the all the other soldiers were dead except for Najah. Wow. And he couldn't bring himself to shoot him because mm -hmm. that was his duty. He was just right. to make sure everybody was oh. dead. So what he did instead was he risked his own life, stole mm. supplies from the hospital, kept him alive for several days until an armistice was uh, announced and mm. they could take him in as a prisoner and 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 treat him at the hospital. Um, and so he risked his own life because he would have been, you know, possibly executed or at least, you know, jailed for treason uh, mm -hmm. as a, a young boy. But it was just wow. that, not only that snap decision on the battlefield, but the concerted effort and determination over several days, risking his own life right. to keep him alive, yeah. that really um, uh, inspired me. Mm -hmm. uh, like, to, you know, when you recognize what's human in the other, you know, right, in right. a, a high-risk situation. Like, he's your enemy. He's got a grenade. He might have tried to pull it to commit suicide and right. to kill you. Right. He didn't know, yeah. but he trusted him. And I thought that, in essence, is like a lesson for all of us, whether we're boarding a bus at night mm -hmm. or walking down an alley or something. How do you look at another person on right. the street? Do you immediately react with suspicion mm -hmm. and fear? Or do you are you open and, you know, and open and trusting. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the film tells their story and it's, in, in, you know, in, the, in a way that a narrative story will, yeah. you empathize with the characters and hopefully you come away with a message afterwards. Yeah. But we've developed a, a VR game that we're, we're developing right now right. where the player is in a bunker situation just mm -hmm. like Zahed found himself. And right. He doesn't know who is friend or foe, and there is this dark character who seems to be helping him out at times, but seems to be also in opposition with others in the bunker too. You don't, you're not huh. sure. Right. Should you be trusting him or should you be suspicious? And as you play, as you try to get out of the bunker alive, there's all these various challenges, and you find out at the end how you respond to the other affects whether you and the other person comes out alive. Wow. So it it's it's a it's a game that kind of puts you in, you know, very tense situations and you have to decide one way or another and mm -hmm. people die. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> or yeah. you could die or you come out alive. Right. And the problem with assumed empathy in in an immersive uh in immersive content is that you need all this backstory. Mm -hmm. But what Anne is able to do with this one is is it comes packaged with this mystery. So you can be you. You mm -hmm. can be acting a you're you're in a similar situation to right. what mm -hmm. the the, the oh, um, okay. 
people yeah. were in in the documentary. Right. Mm-hmm. But you can also play from your own perspective. You don't mm-hmm. know the information. You're 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 sort of lost in piecing it together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's where that that works. You Interesting. Can, yeah. Um, I think I read some research recent, recently that said that when people are playing video games, actually, when they're totally immersed in the moment, when they're in that flow, the decisions they make in that moment are actually very reflective of who they genuinely are as a person. Mm. So it'd be interesting to see what all the outcomes are of that, mm-hmm. to see which way people go when they're inside it. Yeah. But yeah, maybe that's the answer then to your, um, yeah, how do you, like the empathy, where does that come from? Maybe it's not taking over people's stories, but actually just being in that situation as yourself then, yeah, mm-hmm. rather than taking on someone else's shoes, but actually feeling like it's you. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the key difference. Uh, yeah, it going through that, maybe it's struggling through that yourself. And then you go, oh, you look back and go, oh, wow. You know, if this was real or if this, you know, if I was really in this situation, yeah. um, wow, is that how I would have reacted? Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that's much more powerful than just being like, here are some virtual shoes, get <laughs> in it. Now yeah. you know how it feels. Like yeah. there's mm-hmm. And maybe it's just a, a different approach entirely. Um, yeah, it's an extension or come from the idea of this amazing documentary that you made. That was just, I mean, just hearing you recount then the story of it is just horrible 13-year-old mm-hmm. child soldiers having to be in that situation. Um, but like that story and that documentary in itself is a powerful moving thing. And then you have this thing alongside that too. So mm-hmm. it's not like the immersion has to be the way that filmmaking documentaries go. Like mm-hmm. that, it's not going to necessarily that we're all going towards that, but it's this extra option that we have now. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, definitely. There are different ways to, you know, explore a message or to mm-hmm. experience it. And yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause, um, I think Pietro and I, we've, talking, we've spoken before about like the breakdown between video games and films and then VR and stuff, but actually maybe keeping them separate and specialized depending on audience expectation mm-hmm. is the way it's going to go, like that diversification. And there'll be a new name for it. Yeah, that's maybe not, the, yeah, uh, we got to come up with one. Yeah, people are using experience a lot. Right. I find when I'm doing uh, pitches or applications or whatever, I, I write the word experience like yeah. a thousand You've times. Got, that's just the buzzword to get in there. Yeah, yeah. It, it's really the best the paradigm, word that we have. Experiential paradigms or something like that. Yeah, right, right, but right. I think that we'll f- figure out a, a short form, like <laughs> what were the originally movies were called ta- talkies. Right. And then yes. there were like the motion pictures and then that oh, turned yeah. into movies mm-hmm. and film is obviously the the stock um mm-hmm. anyways we'll have to figure figure out what these new yeah. experiences are called but yeah mm-hmm. right that's true for yeah. now that's what they're they're called yeah <laughs> i i saw today that you're um you started out with english literature right you've got mm-hmm. a, a master's degree in english literature mm-hmm. from university of toronto did that did that looking into like narrative history of literature was that something that drove you is that something that still sticks with you now? Like uh, mm-hmm. the way, it does. yeah, it does. I mean, like I love story mm-hmm. and I think we all love stories yes. and we've just talked about different ways that we can get immersed in story now, whether it's in VR or in a movie or in a book mm-hmm. um, or, <laughs> or on Twitter now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Instagram yeah, feed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Instagram feed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it was funny. It was both my English background as well as um, like English literature background or also the anthropology because uh, mm. I did an anthropology major in my undergraduate degree. Oh, okay. Right. And um, one of the central tenets of it, like I don't, it was is, is participant observation. Mm-hmm. Like the anthropologist would go into the community and be a participant <laughs> as they're writing notes. <laughs> right, right. Observing, yes. right? Right, right. But that's essentially what a documentary filmmaker does. You 
go in and you get comfortable, you get immersed in that community or in that household, and then mm-hmm. you're documenting, right? Right. So um, there's that. So that that also influenced how I do my work and right, finding right. stories. Yeah, yeah, I see. Um, that's yeah, that's interesting. I because I I was a zoologist actually was my background. Mm-hmm. My first my my only degree was in uh, zoology, um, and I always had a bit of an issue with anthropology because mm-hmm. I always wondered if there was a slight issue always trying to figure out what was going on with humans just because we ourselves are humans mm-hmm. and it's that old uncertainty principle thing that you sort of change what you study just mm-hmm. by studying it and yes. I always think that whether it is through anthropology or whether it's shooting documentaries as soon as you're there with the camera what are you altering about it because we mentioned the truth earlier is that something that you actively think about while you're I do filming a lot I right. do a lot. I mean, there was this convention about, you know, this journalistic objectivity that mm. we should all, you know, respect and, and, right. and journalistic principles. I still think we should, you know, try to um, uphold journalistic ethics, but I don't think there is such a thing as objectivity, particularly when it comes to documentary filmmaking or any kind of coverage. Right. I think, like, we start to engage in a... Um, a relationship with the subject and with reality. And I guess just like Schrodinger in the, yeah, the yes. box, like we are creating reality when we're out there with a camera, like as right. soon as you bring a camera anywhere. I was going to reference that two yes. slit experiment in quantum physics or whatever yes. it is, where the, the the act of having an observer changes yeah. the outcome exactly. of the experiment. So sure. just having a camera yeah. there, yeah. You're, you're altering yeah. <laughs> what the situation sure. is. Yeah. Sure. yeah, And in a, grander scheme of things I think it's like a positive way to see this is just like you're you're making a story together mm-hmm. right and there's a lot of that collaborative spirit that happens between a documentary director and their subjects mm, yeah. but I suppose another way to look at it would be you're fabricating a story you're making up reality you know right. it's yeah. not yeah. entirely just you know this is not reality like you're creating a version of reality and right. we should be very very um, upfront about it mm. Do you try to uh, mix it up when you're thinking of your next documentary to say, uh, you know, I've done one documentary on this subject matter and then here's the next lead and oh, it's a little bit too close. I want to, I want to branch out further. I want to like, cause you you have such a varied uh, subject matter in the Mm -hmm. docs that you've covered Mm -hmm. and you're, you're working on one now about artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. um, and you just uh, finished one on smart drugs. Um, So those are, you know, they, they, they can be sort of related, but, but, but not, you're branching out further and further. Like, is that uh, a personal, um, uh, need that you're 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 serving to, to to explore new new things. Partly, yeah. I mean, so my enemy and my brother and the defector were two early films where they're both really like high stakes um, human stories that really tug at the heart. And I I always love stories like that, mm. but I didn't have a story like that recently. And I ended up really getting. Um, really getting interested in this whole trend towards um, the idea, uh, I think, of how technology is affecting us as humans and what we feel as a society uh, are imperatives that we have to heed to. Mm -hmm. Like, I am really concerned about how we're 
all feeling the need to upgrade ourselves as right. if we're like computer systems and we could upgrade our, our brains the way we upgrade our iOS on our computers or our phones, right? right. I feel that like that's problematic. And I, and I think that's part of what we were, I was exploring with smart drugs because it's about biohacking. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I want to improve myself too, all, all the right. time too. It's just, I guess my own personal preference is is not to take a bunch of pills or to get computer chips injected into my body right <laughs> where yeah. you know i draw a line that's a little bit closer to kind of traditional ideals of what is human right than a lot of the people i met who are really pushing the envelope of what it means to be human and how far we can go to upgrade yeah. ourselves i mean there was an interesting point that was brought up i was like as soon as you're taking a vitamin you're biohacking Biohacking sounds either like an updated day of the Triffids where internet-based foliage brings about the technological Armageddon, or maybe something you can do with a machete in the rainforest. But what it actually is, is pretty broad. A guy called Dave Asprey really kickstarted the current movement. You might have heard of bulletproof coffee, for instance, where you're actually encouraged to drop a load of butter or other fatty substances in your morning coffee, which is the only thing you'll consume during your morning intermittent fasting. These achievable life hacks are all aimed at optimizing your biology and include simple bits of other advice such as don't stare at your phone screen until 2am and um, sleep at a 45 degree angle to help your brain drain at night. This is the more palatable end of the spectrum, but things escalate pretty quickly. There's all kinds of so-called smart drugs that can be acquired by just about legal means. Usually pharmaceutical drugs designed for treating certain disorders, but found to also have possible cognitive enhancing side effects. A popular example is modafinil, which, when googled, I found even returns a sponsored link to a company called the Neurohacker Collective. Modafinil is prescribed for sleep disorders such as narcolepsy, but when mixed with some other stuff and strained through various legal loopholes, can be called a nootropic and sold without prescription. Modafinil users report feelings of enhanced enduring focus. Basically, they can blitz their entire workload in an inspired state, though side effects are also regularly reported. There are many other drugs like modafinil out there, and some people fill a cereal bowl full of these pills for swallowing down every morning. Some biohackers dream of longer lives filled with nothing but maximized daily productivity. Seriously, some doses believe they'll live to be 150 with all the extra substances they're forcing down every day. Time will tell. We'll get into the even more extreme end of the spectrum later the transhumanists. Sure, yeah. I mean, and uh, most people um, can't even agree on whether vitamins are useful or not anyway. And yet it's true. We're, it's true. We're very like easily able to get a hold of vitamins. And yet yeah. this biohacking seems there's a big gap between vitamins and then what this biohacking is proposing. But how was it watching the main protagonist in um, that smart drugs documentary go through that? Were you, were you just looking at him thinking, oh my God, I can't believe you're <laughs> taking this thing now or these like handful of pills every day. Yeah, Nick Babington, yeah. futurist. Who, right. You know, he's he's got a chip in his body. <laughs> yeah. And he was game. He did try some um, like supplement stacks for right. brain performance, cognitive enhancement. Mm -hmm. And then he wanted to try other things and we were following it. And uh, I, I was intrigued. And in fact, I tried modafinil too. And, you know, it was interesting to follow him. It was also interesting to see, I was beginning to see like a certain mindset that was very um, common among all the people who are trying mm. to biohack. Right. And Nick was doing it himself, which is right. someone who's really, 
hyper busy. Like he's got a lot of things going on. He's got a lot of things scheduled and he has to be hyper efficient and hyper productive. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that was interesting to, to see. I mean, I think it's very much, um, a San Francisco Silicon Valley thing yeah. in, in the cosmopolitan centers of around the world. Yeah. And particularly, you know, in the tech industry and business. Yeah. Right. Did, sure. Is that almost, it almost like, is it getting into almost like bro-y territory? Yeah. 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 Would you say yeah. that? Okay. Yeah. Hacker bros? Hacker bros. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, you, I see all these um, technology guys talk about, um, you know, doing 22 hours a day work or something yeah. and then doing an extra hour the next day. Yeah. Um, it's is, like bench pressing at it is, the gym. It is. It's, How many oh, did you do? Yeah. 23 hours, yeah. bro. Yeah, exactly. High five. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And then, you know, how many hours of deep REM sleep did you get? Like, yeah. they'll, they'll even maximize their sleep. No kidding. Right, because they're also wearing wearables that tell them exactly, when they were yeah. in REM and they sleep. Can and take, yeah. they can take supplements that will, like, get them in the right sleep zone or whatever. But is this wow. just another form of, like, you know how a lot of CEOs just seem like utter psychopaths that are just <laughs> driven to succeed and make as much money as possible? Is this, the way we're going with wearables and knowing all the data and everything, is that also just a personality thing to do with like what these Silicon Valley types believe. Are, are they like, right? Should Is this all good stuff or are we just doing it because it's like their obsessive work personalities coming out, do you think? I think that you've put a finger on it. Like you've touched something that's really a trend that's worrisome. Right. It's the culture of biohacking or just monitoring your own body processes with all these devices and mm-hmm. things is narcissistic right. and also very much about individualism mm. and individual performance. Right. So it goes along, it, it goes hand in hand with a kind of a very individualistic almost narcissistic and maybe libertarian way of, of moving in the world. Right. Um, I'm so, these are such loaded terms. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm not no, saying no. that everyone who biohacks is this kind of person. Like, no, of course you know, like, there are lots of people who are biohacking who are also very connected with those around them and yeah. live a balanced life. Yes. And, and, that's great. But and as you pointed out earlier, that term biohacking is such a broad gray area. Yes. Like yeah. Yeah, eating yeah. a bunch of kale, is that biohacking? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a, a cheap local way to biohack. That's yeah. true. Yeah. The original biohacking. <laughs> Just eat a salad. <laughs> Just eat a salad. Yeah. yeah. But I think, I mean, it's, it's, it, is, it is a certain mindset that's um, connected to a, a very... Uh, capitalistic and techno technology focused society you know yeah success mm-hmm. Dri- success driven mm-hmm. yeah yeah um yeah and just this idea that every hour of the day is like monetizable now as well seems to be yeah you know yeah. We're, we're doing all these things just yeah. to make ourselves more efficient at making more work yeah i think it's a natural outcome after you know big data started being talked about mm. and you could you could monitor everything and start to um make make systems mm. more efficient in companies like insurance companies or banking industries and it's not it's not surprising that we start to turn that thinking back in on ourselves and our own bodies yeah, you know that's right, right. that's the thing that i find disturbing like there are philosophical trends that stem from you know other like n- you know naturalism or hedonism or whatever but this is from computer technology mm-hmm, and, you know right yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and it seems like there's a, this is a, a new frontier almost. We've never had to deal with being able to see exactly what's going on in our own bodies in quite the same way before. So mm-hmm. like philosophies of the past just didn't have that much information to go on as we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, which, um, yeah, so you're working on a new documentary now, as Pietro mentioned, about mm-hmm. AI mm-hmm. and like people that are seeing AI as basically, I don't know, a, a religion, as a... As a does it go that far? Well, it's so interesting because Douglas Rushkoff has come out with a book called Team Human. Right. And it's about the anti-human religion that he says that's taken hold in Silicon Valley. Right. That, like, people are really wanting to maximize and upgrade mm. humans and to see humans as machines right. and to see society as a system mm-hmm. rather than as we're just people hanging out and we have human needs. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, I think that uh, there is something, you know, about how people are are seeing AI as, um, I know some, some people see it as a threat, but mm. others, I think it's just kind of seeped into how we see ourselves and our yeah. society. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I really do want to play the audience for a while because Pietro, I think a lot of what you talk about, it really does remind me of what a lot of these uh, religious AI people are talking about too, that the the technological singularity is inevitable mm-hmm. and that it's time to start mm-hmm. bowing down already. Yeah, pick your side, <laughs> team your machine side. <laughs> or team human. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you feel about like, would you, would you join one of these groups? I'm, I struggle with this oh. idea every single day. Right. Um, and that's why, you know, I'm so interested to know more about what Anne's working on yeah. and the people she's talking to, because sometimes I'm like, wow, these people are crazy. And mm-hmm. other times I'm like, whoa, they're they're onto something or it's this is hearkening back to um religions of the the olden days Mm -hmm. where we're talking that you know they were talking about the afterlife and and Mm -hmm. heaven or Mm -hmm. reincarnation and all these things that made you more than human Mm -hmm. and so the way i see it is it's kind of inevitable that humans are just trying to be more than human Mm -hmm. because that's what made our ape-like ancestors leave the trees in the first place Mm -hmm. we we want to cross over we want to venture out right. and so yeah i don't know if this is a comforting idea or a terrifying one but it's <laughs> kind of like the, we are we're destined to try this yeah. and hopefully we survive yeah. Right. yeah yeah it's so fascinating like are we on the cusp of another like seismic shift in what it means to be human yeah right? transhumanism mm-hmm. yes. right yeah Be- exactly. beyond what like what will will humans of the future transhumans of the future look back at at us as their ancestors and be like, mm-hmm. right. those bald apes, <laughs> they're pretty good. <laughs> totally, yeah. Right. yeah. Ever hear of Captain Cyborg? That's Professor Kevin Warwick. An otherwise typical academic making awkward, outdated jokes to TEDx crowds, Warwick gained his daft nickname, which I suspect he gave himself, by being the first person to, well, legally anyway, have a chip implanted in his body. He's an inspiration to many in the transhumanist movement, Average humans with boring biological bodies like the rest of us that believe humanity can evolve or rather upgrade by adding hardware. People that engage in at-home unregulated self-experiments are known as grinders, although there's a growing number of professionals, usually tattoo artists or piercers, that provide the implantations. These range from inserting magnets into fingertips through sensors that link up to phone apps to one guy anyway, who's trying to insert a vibrating device into his penis. 
Yeah, try explaining that one at airport security. However, Captain Cyborg and other reputable scientists have performed a number of successful experiments on themselves. Warwick was able to feel someone else's hand movements over the internet, and he made his wife a wearable necklace that changed colour depending on his mood. Progress might be slow due to an understandable lack of volunteers, but given how much we're marketed ways to improve ourselves, the possibility of us all one day becoming cyborgs doesn't seem that far-fetched, and it might be something parents have to add to the list of conversations they have with their kids. I think that like the thing that I find most fascinating is that this is in our storytelling for thousands of years, this, mm. this idea of crossing over or mm-hmm. y- crossing the threshold and be- becoming something, leaving the tribe, figuring out who you are and coming back with, with uh, being changed. Yeah. And when a religion, you know, embraces technology, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's like, oh, this is a new thing. But also they're just saying the same thing that's been happening for thou- in our storytelling for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So, so it's this comforting notion for, for a lot of people that are um, um, joining these religions. I'm sure it's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to feel all that new. This is the same yeah. religious thinking as their grandmother. It's almost but it's ahead of the game though this time, right? Before it was looking at the, the sun in the sky or like trying to figure out the, what we see in the world. But now we're actually creating the process that's mm-hmm. doing it ourselves yeah. it's like it's mm-hmm. a different beginning point isn't it almost yeah yeah and and it's becoming becoming it's is the children of prometheus is that is that the right reference it's becoming gods ourselves and uh, yeah. and trying to um well, i'm bad at the classics i don't know yeah <laughs> i am too right, yeah <laughs> and I, mean, I think that's that's the question is is that the seismic shift that's going to happen because mm. With people like Martine Rothblatt or Ray Kurzweil or others mm. talking about um, the approaching singularity, but also just the convergence of human machine intelligence, I guess the question is like when you are able to envision a time when we can upload our brains, <laughs> right. our personalities, and our profiles into the cloud, yeah. and if we can. If we truly yes. are information. Exactly, right. yeah. Or we can preserve that part of ourselves. And as it is plugged into the cloud and other other profiles and consciousnesses up there, mm-hmm. it gets enlarged. Right. Then we have kind of answered, you know, the age-old question of how do you how do you beat death, right? Right, right. If right. you do that, then in in that sense we've we're acting in a godlike way, right? Wow. We're beating death. Yeah. And in that way, um, the, like humans have become, have, have taken on the tools that we've originally looked to religion to solve. Yeah. And that's what people who really, like at Terrasem and other organizations that kind of worship technology or, yeah. or see technology as being, um, ushering in a new kind of humanity. That's mm. how they, they see it. Right. And we were just talking the other day, Anne, about this notion of mind, body, and spirit. Yes, yeah. And how the spiritual element is this big unknown. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the previous religions are the ones warning against this, yes. this move. Because yeah. if you look at just the mind, yeah. 
okay, we figure out the technology to transplant our consciousness mm -hmm. into the cloud, or mm -hmm. we can live forever, slow down time, mm -hmm. whatever that is going to be. Mm -hmm. The body, biohacking, like that stuff's happening now. Mm -hmm. Like, right. like you know, yeah. people are living longer, and yeah. they're, they're, we're we're putting an end to sickness with right. technology. And nanotech is going to be this crazy move for sure. But then the spirit. If you have a mind and a body and a spirit, no one knows about that extra level of consciousness yeah. and whether you're actually going to, you know, be going into some hell hellish existence. Right. Yeah. We, we don't, we don't know. And that's the, that's the wonderful mystery about all this. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Like, no one's talking about that. And they're like, Yuval Harari speaks about the decoupling of consciousness and intelligence. Mm. We've got tons of information and tons of technological development around intelligence, mm -hmm. but we're nowhere further on understanding consciousness right. than, you know, 100 years ago or 200 years ago, yeah. let alone spirituality, right? Yeah. And so I think that is, um, that's an interesting concern. I mean, transhumanists, like Martine might say things like God is technological, as in God, the divine spark is within our technological impulse, the impulse to use technology and, and better ourselves. Right is getting us close to what we classically think of as the divine. Mm. But is it really? I mean, I think, yes, we're, we're really much more adept at understanding how to create intelligence and to store different kinds of intelligence, but we don't know about consciousness or spirituality at all. Yeah, yeah. and if super intelligence could tell us, yes. that would be amazing, but yeah. will it it's a chicken they, and egg almost situation. Yeah, isn't we're it? we're yeah. still stuck to being four dimensional beings, and yeah. if the answer is in this, like you know, the twelfth dimension or something like yeah. that, we'll be like, okay, yeah, I, I trust you, but yeah. I can't see it. Things like intuition mm. or sixth sense mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Like, I wonder if that can be replicated in some way. Like, I mean. I've heard neurologists speak about how it's actually, it's deep memories and, yeah. and associations that your brain is actually accessing when mm. you have an, um, an intuition. So right. perhaps there's a way to just describe it with descriptions of data, but you know, I'm not sure. Perhaps, yeah, the, the big data will like finally let us understand all those things. Like, but then that, that kind of is a worry for me as well, because I think all the things that we think of as making as human might actually turn out to be very simple. Like just once we have all the information and then mm -hmm. how do we feel? How yeah. do we feel about that? And does that, again, I think then that spiritual question will come in because we yes. might just all feel very existential. It's like if we're, if we're alone in the universe, that's a, that's a terrifying idea. And yeah. then if we're not, yeah. if we're not special, then that's also, it sucks. Yeah, <laughs> So exactly. it's a catch 22. Yeah. And it's funny. It's always, those, but we want to know we no matter know. what. And it's always yeah. the same old questions. Like you said, it's still the, like trying to overcome death. Mm-hmm. And that, mm -hmm. that goes way back to the, you know, uh, one of our previous guests mentioned the Epic of Gilgamesh, like the oldest known works of literature. That's mm -hmm. about trying to overcome death. And we're mm -hmm. still, these, these AI yeah. religions, they're, they're right back in the same place. Mm -hmm. Just uh, the human condition is just wanting to know what's yeah. on the other exactly. side. Not being yeah. able to accept nothingness. And that, yeah, and that, that, that is part of what we were saying earlier as well about like having to know everything about your own body. Yeah, like for it's, sure. Is there peace in that? For sure, the biohacking impulse is to is partly one to you know um, upgrade and enhance yourself mm -hmm. as uh, your productivity, et cetera, right now, yeah. but also to lengthen lifespan. I'd say I'll, I'm not sure if it's spearheaded by the boomers or mm. you know by people in the tech industry or both, but there's a lot of money going into 
research and therapies and technologies on around lengthening human lifespan. Right. And um, I think that goes hand in hand with the thinking and the tech development with like brain machine interface mm-hmm. implants that are being developed. Companies like Neuralink mm-hmm. or Paradromics or um, Kernel. Mm-hmm. What's, what's Kernel? Kernel is a company uh, headed up by Brian Johnson, mm. and it, it's looking at like brain computer interfaces right. as is Paradromics. So Paradromics is an, another company where um, people have been getting implants where uh, it enables them to, like if they were amputated, if mm. they have an amputated limb, they'll be able to... Oh. Um, move the prosthetic with their mind wow, because yeah, yeah. the mind will send signals mm. and um, the way that it'll trigger nerve endings at the amputated limb, hmm. the they can they can interpret those signals and wow. then translate them into signals that speak to your prosthetic. Right, which is an amazing development to help mm-hmm. people that need a prosthetic. But then mm-hmm. I imagine people are immediately thinking, well, can I attach a robotic limb to myself? Mm-hmm. Right, and then mm-hmm. what can I do with that? And mm-hmm. I can like be Dr. Octopus style controlling yeah. it. Yeah, Just there's Rip off a car door, yeah. <laughs> throw it at a building. That's yeah. what first I mean, thing I do. Yeah, I'm sure the military is already all over that stuff probably. Yeah, totally. They're developing it, yeah. yeah. There's also, um, I think Pietro and I were talking about ways that um, memories can be um, implanted or, or, erased. or erased. Yeah, yeah. there's oh. a rat experiment mm-hmm. where I think they... they I think they traumatized a rat. God bless these rats. Mm-hmm. Always the rats. You know, I'm it's okay. always the rats. Mm. Uh, they uh, they they in, inflicted some uh, rats with trauma, and then they were able to uh, to the point where they wouldn't do the same thing over again. And then they were able to uh, put a signal into their brain to erase that memory, and then they had no problem. You really? know, going Doing through that, that door. It's eternal sunshine yeah. of the spotless mind. It, it, it yes. is. Wow. Yeah, and that's happening. Yeah. Science fiction breeds reality. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. We talk about the future, but it's actually like almost. It's not a far future, is it, that we're often talking about on this show? Would either of you biohack? Would you, would you, I mean, you've seen this happen in person, but would you put a chip in yourself to Pietro? I feel like you would be more tempted to do this. <laughs> not V1, maybe no. V2. Yeah. Oh, you always say, wait for the beaters to be. Yeah, yeah. I always yeah. think about yeah. um, one of my kids coming home with a cyborg guy instead of yeah. like a tattoo or a piercing <laughs> and be like, what? You got V1? No. Yeah. Wait. You uploaded your consciousness into the beta? No, don't do that. Right. Um, so, I, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know if I'll, if I'll live long enough where it, it'll be accessible to you know the the normals because mm-hmm. it's it's the billionaires that get to decide right now. But. Well, that's actually a very good point as well, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Sorry to cut you off there, but this biohacking very much is like if you can afford it. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Even if these do become breakthrough things, like not everyone's going to have access, are they? Mm-hmm. Probably. Mm-hmm. You can live longer to make more money. It's the mm-hmm. rich get richer, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and would you? Uh, would you get a cyborg guy? I would guy? be a late adopter. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, it would be like, uh, everyone would have to have one. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and, and then like, I would fine. probably get one. But I mean. When they're on sale. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it would be kind of like, yeah, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Mm-hmm. There was the prim- John the Savage, right? Was he? Was it John, the character's name? I don't know. I who think was, it was who, John. Yes, yeah. Who I stayed don't. outside. Born, born a natural birth. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who decided not to participate in the society, and I feel like um, that could be an interesting stance to take. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of Aldous Huxley and other authors, like sci-fi authors, like 
Richard Morgan, who wrote Altered right. Carbon, which is a Netflix series now. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like as as a as a society, we've been kind of writing out these fantasies and these sci-fi novels, right? And it's it's like just putting these kind of fanciful pictures in the air of what the future could be. Mm. And then we have these tech entrepreneurs now actually busily making these things become concrete reality. Yes. So like, mm-hmm. you know, this this sci-fi vision of people with skins and you get this disc personality disc that puts in the puts inside the skin, you become reanimated. Like yeah. There are companies that are creating like brain machine interfaces right, right. now, and there yeah. are other companies creating, you know, ways to develop organs out of stem cells, and right. you know, like it's. And it's as startling. long as they can stay afloat and keep this these ideas alive, there's mm-hmm. no reason why this can't be V10 or the the twenty year vision of yeah. these types of companies. Yeah, and I think that's why it's important for all creatives to think about what story you're putting out there in the world Mm. because you're in effect you're starting to create reality like you're building a pathway towards a reality that other might other people might you know walk on and further build right yeah that's an interesting way of putting it i mean we spent a whole episode speaking to a sci-fi literature professor about like whether sci-fi had actually let what technology it led to itself but it can actually be a self-fulfilling prophecy almost with these guys like Elon Musk and you know I follow SpaceX and Tesla on um, Instagram and every day it's like telling us that we need the money to do this because this is where humans need to go Mm -hmm. and um, I really appreciate the SpaceX launches and stuff they're amazing it's all incredible everything that Elon's doing but um, yeah he's he's so convinced about this narrative that he's telling us everything and it's Mm -hmm. like I don't know is that the right way or you're right is he just directing us down a path that he thinks he's right and he thinks he's doing good but it's divesting a hell of a lot of money I don't know. There's a lot of problems going on right now for sure. as well yeah. that we well, could be dealing with. Well, for sure. I mean, Elon Musk is a great champion of this myth, this story of one way to save ourselves is to get to Mars. Just leave, yeah. And it's like the Mars is the moonshot of mm. this century, right? Because right. we've already gone to the moon. Yes. What's the next what's the next challenge? Yeah. And so it's it's kind of a kind of a bro-y kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and Jeff like, Bezos hey, just did the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. He wants to go to the, the moon yeah. again. Yeah. What's the thing that we could just try to achieve that's like a moonshot? And I was going to say, it'd be interesting if someone like Elon Musk decided to instead like talk about how to purify water for more people. And right. there are, you know, there are lots of uh, people out there doing that, lots of celebrities. Doing yeah. That. Like Bill Gates's foundation, um, Matt Damon's foundation, and... Mm. Um, other, right. Yeah, Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio's foundation. Well, I suppose to be fair to to, to Elon, um, mm-hmm. Tesla is you know electric cars. He keeps saying that we need to make all cars electric to mm-hmm. like cut down air pollution. So he is doing some things to save the planet right now. For sure, a hell of a lot. But um, for sure, yeah, you're you're right. It does seem to be which billionaire next is going to announce some kind of space program. Yeah, yeah. I think you make a, a great point. I mean. Elon had the balls to say, like, mm. to stand up to petro- yeah. petroleum companies exactly, and say, yeah. "We gotta, we gotta get the electric yeah. car out and that's there." A and big it was fight. a that was a big fight. Yeah, and now it's like the world has come on board. Yeah, so kudos to him for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. let's save the planet yeah. in this way, and then let's leave the planet in in, in another <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah. So it balances out. It's yeah. net, yeah. net zero. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. absolutely. The sad truth is that more people will have read about the latest litigious crap Elon Musk has been tweeting rather than all the amazing projects he's working on, which is, of course, his own fault.
How he even finds time to be on Twitter is a mystery. Inspired by the works of science fiction author Isaac Asimov, who we touched on in the last episode, Musk is making every hour of every day count in a relentless battle to save his fellow humans. He co-founded Tesla, an electric car company given no hope by anyone for most of its history. Tesla's cars are now a regular sight on roads, in Toronto at least, with current models having all the hardware to one day be driverless. Tesla also produces discrete solar panels for homes and businesses and developed an advanced battery for storing surplus solar power. He founded The Boring Company to completely change the way city infrastructure works, redesigning tunnelling equipment to reduce costs and make it possible to send traffic underground, as well as developing the Hyperloop concept, super-fast underground intercity travel. Then there's OpenAI, which he co-founded to achieve artificial general intelligence, AGI, which you'll remember from the first episode as being the moment when AI really kicks off. OpenAI has safety and security written into its charter. It's a non-profit seeking only to provide transparent research into autonomous systems that benefit everyone. And while all this stuff is happening down here on Earth, Elon's also determined to set up camp on Mars. A fail-safe extra-human population just in case that big pile of shite we keep flinging at the fan finally ends the Earth part of human history. He's doing this through SpaceX, his fleet of autonomous rockets that currently take commercially contracted equipment into near-Earth orbit and then land themselves back on Earth, and will one day also offer space travel to people, probably very well-off people. Not a bad list of achievements since founding PayPal. So, nice one Elon, but easy on the Twitter, yeah? I wanted to ask you about meeting uh, Ben Gertzel. Oh, yes. Because he's been, uh, you know, I've just been idolizing him for many years. Yeah. But back in when I was in college, there were rare videos of him on, on the net and, mm-hmm. and things that he was writing. And he was really one of the first uh, people actively talking about the singularity and, and taking precautions and then actively building mm-hmm. t- t- crazy robots mm-hmm. at the same time. So mm-hmm. I'm just so fascinated by him and I wondered how your uh, how your meeting with him went. It was great. I was in Hong Kong and I had been kind of, I was creeping him trying to get through to him. <laughs> yeah. I finally did and he responded by email and um, and then he, he we were we're just corresponding about like, can I meet you? Can I interview you? And, you know, he was saying yes. And he was kind of not saying where and when, you know, mm-hmm. it's like in Simsa Shui, the district of Hong Kong. I'm like, okay, great. So that narrows it down. Yeah, right. To where a will district I be? of Hong Kong. Yeah. But finally, you know, we, we went and went to the Singularity um, Org offices as a Singularity Net. So it's cool. I mean, you know about, Singularity Net and this kind of democratic kind of marketplace he's trying to create for tools for people who are building with blockchain and huh. working in AI. Okay, uh, it's a very cool concept. Wow! And um, so we met there, and he came, and he was he had come from something else. He was he was it was a hot day. He was sweaty. He had a leather vest on with fringe and a t shirt, and and um, he had his you know um, signature uh, spectacles on and stuff. But he was so. <laughs> gentle and personable and so very cool to talk to so real you mm. know that's what i was very uh, impressed by and inspired by because 
sometimes you speak with people who work in the tech industry and they're very, they speak in abstract terms and they get very, very heady. Or they he get was, defensive about what the problems yeah. with what they're doing are. Yeah. And he, he doesn't. He he's he like, I'm, we're we're building this type of technology, and yeah. here are the implications, and yeah. this is this is the right way to do it, and this is mm-hmm. the wrong way to do it. Yeah. And he's he's not afraid to talk about that, and for I sure. think that's that's so wonderful for yeah. someone in his position. For sure, and he has this kind of like, um, very kind of. Uh, platform agnostic humility and it's also very human humility he was talking about how like you know I'm not sure when it it will approach artificial general intelligence because right now still humans are really great at processing a number of different things in four dimensions but you know right now there are systems that are way better probably at dealing with 17 dimensions Hmm. (laughs) and I was like you're right, actually. You know, I never thought about that, but it's cool that he can just, his mind is so open to thinking about reality in different ways and being open to it, yeah. Right. Yeah, why, why were you so inspired by him, Pietro? Is that the same reasons? Yes, same reasons. I don't, and, know, and I don't know who he is at all, I'm ashamed to admit, in this conversation, but it, he sounds great hearing you do speak If you him. saw a picture of him, you'd, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, right, right. He's, uh, you know, Silicon Valley did an episode where they had like a Sophia-type robot. He was the inventor of Sophia, the robot. Hmm. And um, and they did an episode of, of a Sophia-type robot, uh, uh yeah, being a character. And then they had the inventor, which was clearly supposed to be Ben Gertzel. Right, but okay. they made him like, oh, not. I don't want to spoil anything, but it, they just didn't do... They didn't capture him. They mm-hmm. didn't do... Uh, mm-hmm. they, they didn't honor him. That, <laughs> that really upset me. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just knew him as uh, being one of the first advocates for um, the, the concerns around the technological singularity way mm. back. You know, I, I guess I would have... There wasn't a ton of stuff that I found online, you know, 15 years ago or whatever it was. Mm. But um, I I remember encountering him being like, this guy's cool and crazy and super smart. And uh, he just was inspired from back then. Right. Like a true, like uh, really high level thinkers who are very open to everything that he's got that kind of mind. It's very inspiring to be around. And I, I really like the way he talked about Sophia and other robots. Um, that he's helped develop. He, he was saying, you know, they're they're like puppets mm-hmm. or like an ambassador to to the general population about like friendly forms of artificial intelligence. It's not like you know they're anywhere close to the the, the artificial general intelligence that people are worried about. Mm. But that this is one way of starting to maybe educate people about right. how we can interact with artificial intelligence. I've always right. wondered when Sophia is invited to a conference, yeah. which she, she goes all around the world, <laughs> um, separate from Ben, mm. um, I'm sure she has her handlers or whatnot. Does she get a plane seat or do they just like put her in a box, oh my throw, her, throw her in luggage? Yeah, that's a very good question. Yeah. Like, wouldn't she like, they have to like book yeah. her? You know, first class ticket. If I wanted Sophia to with a come, charging port, well, yeah. If we suppose, if we invited yeah. Sophia to this podcast, do we have to book her a first class ticket, oh, or do, that would add do we just expenses? I think you would get it. Canada unless Post unless to drop you her have off. like a really good pelican case with a yeah. lot of padding, <laughs> yeah. you don't want anything yeah. to get shaken up in Sophia's head, right? No, and 
does she get powered down then? Or <laughs> someone forgets to power her down and she's like in a suitcase for, for, for 14 eyes. hours? Blink, blink. Yeah. <laughs> no, no Wi-Fi. She, she has to pay for Wi-Fi on the plane. To, yeah. Yeah. Right. I guess she doesn't do well without Wi-Fi. Right? No, probably not. <laughs> yeah. We always like to ask our guests, like, how, how are you feeling like about the future in general based on what you see right now, what your experiences are? in the world and the way you see things going like are you feeling you feeling good or are you generally like a bit hope or fear or a combination <sighs> yeah. of the two Crush, crushing dystopians it depends okay, on the day. you know what yeah. i'm an optimist at yeah. heart so okay. i yes, always and... have hope yeah yeah i i would say i mean I, i'm very concerned as are most of us about climate change right and that the irreparable changes that have already happened but mm. i'm very hopeful about the people who are, act, you know, active about trying to tr trying to address that, yeah. particularly the young people, like and you know, mm -hmm. youth that are very galvanized about it. Yeah, Greta um, Thunberg is her name, leading mm -hmm. the um, school strikes. Mm -hmm. Oh, amazing! Yeah, great. So I, that I think is the biggest concern. I feel like the stuff that we're talking about with tech and everything is, I guess, of concern to me in, in some respects. Like it's, it's almost like we're scientists in the, the floating scientist island in Gulliver's mm -hmm. Travels, you right. know, Jonathan Swift's yes. book, where mm -hmm. there were these floating islands of scientists. They were so dissociated yeah. <laughs> from the rest yeah, right. of humanity. Yeah. I feel like that there's a bit of that going on, which is um, kind of worrisome and also fascinating to mm. to to watch yeah. and to talk about yeah well that that really just makes me think back again about like the way you're that um you know my, my enemy my brother like lo again looking at the people that are actually affected and those stories by these by what's happening in the world right now i, I mm -hmm. saw another documentary you're involved with um the superfood chain mm -hmm. and you're just talking about superfoods and this like took me back because <laughs> i ate some quinoa last night <laughs> and talking you're about biohacking no, right well, <laughs> for one but um but also just the way like superfoods have an effect on like farmers in Bolivia because mm -hmm. now quinoa is being grown all over the world mm -hmm. like more cheaply in Bolivia. Uh, farmers in Bolivia have lost like 50% of their profits in mm -hmm. two years or something. Like mm -hmm. all the price of what they sell for has dropped 50% into it. So again, like I think what you do is you do a very good, your approach to like bringing it back to people and how people are going to be affected by technology. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Is there any, are there more documentaries you want to make like based around that and like trying to, trying to bridge that gap between what, you know, the great, the great guys of science are trying to do and how people are, people Not are going to be yet. dealing with I'll, it. I'll be glad to get this AI project done. And I'm actually mm. talking with Pietro about um, a possible VR, AR oh, yeah. um, extension for it. We're yeah. hoping we can do that. Yeah, fingers crossed. So oh, yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. 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 Oh. yeah. yeah. I propose a documentary about how technology can help climate change. Because we, the, we, I, I, I should be combining these topics more mm -hmm. in in, in mm -hmm. the conversations I'm having with people. But right. it's usually either one or the other. Are you are you hopeful or fearful about technology? Well, you know, fearful in these ways, hopeful in these ways. But shit, the climate change thing is yeah, yeah, yeah. that's only fearful. That's huge. Yeah. No, um, well, there's a lot of tech. I, I actually mm. did research into that. Yeah. No yeah, kidding. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, there's like everything from paint being developed in Israel that actually there's, it'll 
take the photons that hit it and cause a certain kind of reaction mm. that drops the temperature. So if you put this white paint on buildings, the sun will actually cause cooling. So you don't right. have to have uh, air conditioner. Yeah, That's yeah. amazing. And there's also low-tech solutions. Like uh, a lot of food goes to waste in Africa and different countries in um, Southeast Asia. And... Um, they can they came up with a way to preserve the food because mm. up to seventy percent of the food will go to waste from the time it's picked on a farmer's field to when it gets to market, wow. like the next day maybe, yeah. right? That's crazy. And, so, and please make that documentary because yeah. then that helps to, helps us yeah. to the look at things and yeah, go. The low tech well, way you know what? is I'm just putting pay two extra. clay pots within one within the other and some water. Wow! And so That's you don't simple. need refrigeration. So the the produce inside the second clay pot will remain cool. Mm. And so you can do that in like 35 degree weather and it'll, it'll keep the vegetables fresh and edible. Yeah. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, there is a lot of tech. I've written about a lot of technology as well that mm -hmm. is super, like you reminded me of the um, that paint thing about yes. there are solar panels as well now yes. that are being integrated into roofs that look more just like regular roofs. And nice. I think actually Tesla acquired the company that did that. So um, nice. again, well done, Elon. But um, yeah, because it's the, the hard part is actually getting people to adopt these things. If they look gross, people yeah. don't want solar panels yeah. all over their property. Yeah. But if they look indistinguishable from your house anyway, it makes it much more likely that people will be like, okay, well, I'll have this thing if it's going to save me some money anyway. And it looks good. Right. Things like that are so important as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Getting people to actually want to physically mm -hmm. like show off the, or like have it like not be an ugly ish addition to their house. And the price mm -hmm. point, like I'm the price willing point to pay a little well. bit more yeah. to yeah. help save the planet, but, but again, a but little not bit that more. much more. Because yeah. then if it's and a if lot it looks more, weird, then I'm out. Well, yeah. exactly. But also if it costs a lot more, then well, only certain people will buy it. And then, well, we need everyone to be able to buy yeah. these things, right? Is the problem, so. When people um, want to solve a problem in a positive way with technology, I think you, you just come up with amazing um, solutions. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's how we do it. We, we, yeah. we figure out a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I always like feeling, um, finishing on a positive. Humans. Yeah. yeah. We're doing all right. We're doing we'll, all right. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, as long as people keep uh, yeah, moving towards the truth in positive ways, I think. Write some positive science fiction. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That too. Yeah. 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 Good yeah. stories. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Please keep making those documentaries because they're all wonderful. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Oh, thank you Absolutely. so much thank for you, yeah, spending time with us. It's been great. Cool. Thank you. All right, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks to Anshin for spending time talking to us. She's almost as busy as Elon with all the projects she has going on, so we really appreciate it. Let us know what you think. Are you a biohacker who drinks whatever mushroom coffee is every morning? Do you, like me, think Kevin Warwick gave himself the nickname Captain Cyborg? And do you think Elon Musk could be the hero we all need? We're on Instagram and Twitter at machinespodcast, or you can email us at machinespodcast at gmail.com. If you like listening, subscribe and rate the episode. Creative Machines is recorded and produced by David Angel at his studio, Giant Sound Toronto. And that's why it sounds so good. I sometimes think Dave must have biohacked his way to an advanced age just to have done all the jobs he's claimed to have worked. Like how he spent two years working in a movie theatre. How was that, Dave? Lots of free popcorn. Yeah, that's alright. We'll be back next week discussing how the advertisers are getting close to knowing exactly what you want by talking to a self-described futurist and creative director. 
freaked out when you mention something to a friend only to have it appear as sponsored content in your Instagram feed? Tune in next week to be part of the conversation. Thank you for listening to the Creative Machines podcast.